Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. We're going to wrap up our week here one day early this week, but a fun episode to get to here, one that I really enjoy. These are our less traditional awards, shall we say, that we've come up with and just a way for us to wrap our heads around what's happened in the last month of the season beyond just the traditional NBA awards. So we can kind of just skip around here a little bit. Do you want to get right to it here, Danny? Where do you want to start? I think we should start with biggest surprise team and player. And remember now we're a couple days into the month, but I did these at the end of the month. And for me, the two teams that I most seriously considered were Sacramento and then my actual pick Memphis. And at that point in time, Memphis was 12th in net rating and fourth in defense. I think their numbers are slightly off that now, but not too far. And the reason why they're the biggest surprise for me is that they've been significantly better defensively than I expected. Offensively, you know, maybe they're even a little bit worse, but the combination of their length, Marcus Gasol looking like Marcus Gasol again, and we had, that was an open question. I mean, considering how flat he looked a lot of last year. And so for me, they were, they're the biggest surprise team because, you know, the Clippers have exceeded expectations, but they've also been healthy and their guys have played well. Whereas Memphis just looks, doesn't look like the team I expected them to look like. Yeah, to me, this was an interesting question, right? Because you have the teams that are surprises and Sacramento certainly is up there. I mean, I think the chance of them actually like being 500 at, at this point in time, if you talked to me before the season and said, okay, you don't know anything else. You just, Sacramento is 500. Memphis is like 12 and nine or whatever it was at the end of the month. Denver, yeah, you know, they're up there. They they have the number three defense in the NBA. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty damn high too. Uh, you know, and overall, they we thought they'd be very good, but maybe that offense would be a bigger catalyst there. And then that Milwaukee, you know, is the best team in the league and leading the league in net rating. I would have to actually say that of all those things, just talking about the results here, not how they're getting there, which is maybe another part of this component or another component to this question, I should say. Sacramento being over 500 at this point in the year would be the most surprising thing of anything because I was just so convinced that they were going to be the worst team in the NBA this season. Yeah, and that is a pretty big jump. And yes, they have exceeded their point differential by a little bit in terms of wins, but not so much that it would be even close to 500. They wouldn't even be sniffing that. And also that Jaeger would figure out the frontcourt rotation as well as he has. Granted, that might be causing some conflicts with certain members of their front office. Oh, we'll get to that later. Don't worry. Playing Bielitsa and giving him serious minutes, Bagley being, depending on the circumstances, more of a five than a four, which is exactly the right role for him, has worked out really well. I mean, De'Aaron Fox has been awesome and that goes on to a couple of different factors, surprising player, just him being him making the, the jump from rookie to sophomore and doing so with with a flourish. And I think they've been deeper than I anticipated as well. A lot of that is in the front court, but they were able, I, I think the reason why Sacramento is also a good choice, I went with Memphis just because I think I was more wrong on them, is because Sacramento did a lot of this without Bogdan Bogdanovich. And I thought he was going to be really important to what they were doing, but Buddy Heald really stepped up. I thought he did a nice job and they were able to cobble it together at the swingman spots without 
that point, Donovich, and then they've been competitive with him as well, of course, since, since he came back. Yeah, and I mean, I don't remember, if you were higher on the Kings than me, you weren't much. To me, Memphis actually wasn't really that high on my list because digging deeper into things one we'd seen them be healthy before i think you know a lot and play well before you know part of the reason that we were lower on them i I think their their over under was 33 wins we picked the over and even as of right now they're only projected for 42 wins um maybe a little bit higher before they lost a couple of these games i can't remember whether that new york loss was was last month or not but really the biggest thing that had been driving their surge they were just as bad as we thought they'd be on offense right they've been in the mid-20s in offense basically all year but they had this awesome defense and that was due to an unsustainable turnover percentage so when i talk about surprising number one you could say okay just the wins and losses is surprising but are they really that much better fundamentally than i thought and i felt that memphis just you know was doing it a little bit with smoke and mirrors when you throw in the health like they're not you could have come up with a scenario in which they would have played this well especially because their win-loss record to me wasn't necessarily sustainable and then sacramento i was just like there's just no way to me that they could have possibly played 500 over the season i still think they're gonna fall off to some degree but you know they still keep winning games i mean they had a blowout win in phoenix last night you know i mean that's a game where before the season you would have felt like you know phoenix would be favored in that game uh so i actually i think the kings is number one for me i'm still not sure how sustainable it was but even to play this well at the start of the year has been incredible my number two was milwaukee and not just that they're 15 and 7 but the fact that they have by far the best net rating in the nba uh that their offense is this good i mean they're basically been the number one offense throughout most of the year now that golden state uh, has fallen off with curry out uh and then second to me was denver just because the defense specifically you know 16 and 7 is above where i thought they would be to be sure you know i saw them as right around the same level as last year 46 7 wins but to be number three in defense and showing no signs of that falling off either i mean they've continued to have really good defensive performances you know they had a, a really nice defensive performance against the raptors who are a top five offense they shut down golden state when golden state was pretty healthy and beat them so when they go against good teams they've still been pretty darn effective defensively so and part of that may be because you know barton has been out wancho and craig are better defensive options at the three than barton i'm not saying barton won't make them better when he returns but specifically defensively that they've had some out there but yeah i mean that that's just been so shocking to me for a team that just you know has never really defended well with the this group Another piece of the argument in favor of the Nuggets, a team that I considered and and could have had higher, is that their their resume is really good. Like they have the strongest SRS in the entire league, and they played a lot of these teams at full strength or close to it. You mentioned they beat the Warriors when the Warriors were healthy. They beat the Raptors when the Raptors were pretty close to healthy. And the only they they smacked OKC too. Uh, Although I'm not sure sure if Westbrook was back for that game or not. But they match up really well against OKC. They beat the Pelicans. I think AD played in that game. I'm pretty sure that he did. And yeah, I mean, they, they they have a lot of really good wins and they haven't played many games against the dregs. So you could see it going even stronger in their direction. I think they've had one of the hardest schedules in the league so far and they've done well and they faced a lot of great, great offenses. So yeah, that's another really positive surprise story. And with the Bucks, it's another one of those, you know, degree of separation type thing. So we were both optimistic. I mean, we both picked the Bucks over, thought that it was a, you know, somewhat a bold statement because of how high that number went. And this is on the, the furthest end in terms of positive, not necessarily in terms 
terms of record, as you said, but in terms of net rating, they've just been absolutely dominant. And they've had this mix, we talked about this on the 15 and 60, of fortunate defense and unfortunate defense. So if you think that that is kind of balanced out at least a little bit right now, in terms of effective field goal defense, they're 14th in the league. So that doesn't seem you know particularly unfair or anything like that. To be strong defensively and then be the league's best offense is pretty incredible. Yeah, a couple other teams that I think deserve mention, the Clippers, uh, although again, same as Memphis, I think that their field goal percentage defense being number one in the NBA right now, that, that is not going to sustain it. Ha- I, I said that two weeks ago and it has to continue to sustain, but they're below, well below average in the other three, four factors. Uh, and I thought they were going to be a really good offensive team and they just have a lot of talent on this team. They've avoided major injuries so far, which has been helpful, but I, I did think that they have pretty decent depth. Uh, so this again is not shocking. I mean, they they're leading the West, but that's a little misleading. Their 4.6 net rating is not like unbelievable. You know, so they're probably playing overall at, you know, a high 40s win type of level when you consider potential defensive regression and, and healthy. You know, that's not insane. I mean, they were, they won 42 last year. They shut it down the last few games. I didn't think they were going to miss DJ. So I, I was higher on them than a lot of people. Um, and then the Dallas Mavericks, got to mention them as well, uh, especially after that miserable start to come back uh, the way they have uh, and be around 500 has been impressive. Yeah. Yeah, Dallas and and since December started, they have those two impressive back-to-back wins. They beat the Clippers without Luca and Maxi Kleba, and then they beat the Blazers with both those guys. So yeah, I mean they're they're coming on strong. And I mean a lot of this kind of we've been talking about with the Western Conference, though a few of our teams are in the East. That these teams, part of the story there is that the some of the teams we expected to be high have fallen back to the field. Houston's the most prominent example there. And then some of these teams that are coming from what we thought was the bottom, they're looking more legit than I expected. You know, there are always a couple of fool's gold teams that do well for the first month of the year. But I mean, when I watch Dallas, especially because of how great their second unit is, and they're running something closer to hockey subs, I don't see that dissipating. You know, maybe the degree of strength dissipates, but there's a lot going for them. So yeah, it's it's really interesting with Dallas. Biggest surprise player of the year, Danny. So I went with Nikola Vucevic. And for, for... Most most biggest surprise player for me, it can't be a really young guy because those players getting better, it's not as much of a surprise. You know, the the step up from year one to year two is often big. It's not always, but it is often big. So like De'Aaron Fox has been a lot better, but that's not really a big surprise to me. But Vooch, you know, this is age 28 season. Some of his effectiveness is fueled by unsustainable shooting. You know, like it it is a little bit ridiculous at certain moments. He's shooting, you know, like high 40s on mid-rangers over 40% on threes. I think he's at 41 right now. But this is a guy who's been known for his offense. He's having by far the best offensive year of his career. And then the other part of why he got the pick for me is that he's been better defensively as well. And I thought that was going to be the, that was the big reason why I advocated for Orlando to dump him at various moments in the recent past, because they have so much invested in the front court. I thought their front court defense was so tantalizing and they've been able to hold the fort down defensively when he's been on the floor and he's playing primarily almost exclusively against starters. Yeah. And really just seeing how a lot of teams have really struggled to deal with the magic and and deal with him. The Lakers are a perfect example of that. And I mean, this offensive rating for this team, 110 when he's on the floor is really good. 5.2 net rating when he's out there. Obama, negative 17.6 net rating. I mean, it was, it's really, you know, that game against Miami, it was another one. Plus 31 for Vooch and like negative 15 for Bamba. And Bamba's playing like 12 minutes a game. 
so yeah, Vooch is my number one as well. I mean, he's just playing at, at an all-star level, an all-NBA type of level. The only reason I didn't have him on there is just because, you know, I wondered how sustainable this was and he was reaching a new level. So he, he would be my number one as well. Number two for me is JaVale McGee. Yeah, that's the, I hadn't really considered him too much, but is, is that like minutes played and just his effectiveness defensively? Yeah, I mean, like he's been a positive force defensively. I thought even with the Warriors, he was terrible defensively and now the lakers we have seen them struggle the aforementioned vooch being an example with shooting centers we haven't seen them go up against that many teams you know who are uh great pick and roll teams with guys especially who can shoot the three off the dribble in pick and roll but i mean just to be blocking shots to not be making nearly as many boneheaded defensive mistakes he's much better at challenging jump shots than he has been you know he's been a quality defense player i think he's leading the nba in blocks which you know is not the be all end all but he's, he's been successful there and you know i mean early in the year to be like yeah the lakers will be fine as uh as long as they fix their problems when javel mcgee was off the floor is not a problem not something we expected and then they got tyson chandler and they've really been defending quite well and javel uh, remains a, a very good offensive center i think he's you know he's not hugely skilled he'll take a couple of kind of weird hook shots or a three every game but he's just a wonderful finisher around the basket so he's a quality offensive star I mean, he the, the idea that he would be like a good starter this year as opposed to just the specialist he was in golden state it was very surprising and he is among i would have to we could do this as a later award like we do this on our season end the best minimum salary contract in the league he's on the short list there yeah. off the top of my head my my next two picks i didn't really order them but they're both european frontcourt players Maxi Kleba, I, but these are both guys that I really liked beforehand. Maxi Kleba and Juancho Hernan Gomez. And the reason why I picked both of them is because they are succeeding at a higher level than I expected in roles, in roles in ways that are surprising to me. So Juancho stepped into the starting three role after basically missing last year with Mono and has been really strong on both ends of the floor. At a, I, I, th- I loved him as a four. I didn't think he could do this defensively. We've talked about how their defense is such a big surprise. Wancho is a meaningful part of that. This is also a very effective season for him. 63% true shooting, 46%, I think, from three, and getting to the line more than he did last year. Granted, that was a lost season. And I think he's been great. And then Kleba, I still don't know exactly what he is going to be for the Mavs in next season, but he's a lot more tantalizing now and his defense has been way better than I anticipated then offensively he's a cog in the machine but he's a good cog in the machine for me my third guy was uh, pretty clear Derek Rose just uh, out of nowhere the 50 point game I mean that's the most surprising individual performance of the season probably I mean this is his age 30 season just has not been an effective player in a number of years now granted he's not going to be amazing shooting the three all year but he's at least passable and, and seems to you know I think maybe he shot it well enough that you can believe that he can at least be a threat out there uh, on spot ups and then you know 65 percent around the rim and you know one of the best plus minuses on the team i mean we really severely questioned his fit in minnesota we thought that he might take minutes uh, away uh, from better players and that he has been better uh than all of their point guards so far uh, and tom thibodeau has kind of unleashed him as a more of an Allen iverson type of two guard 
And then, you know, the, his pick and roll ability with Carl Anthony Towns has also been great. So I don't know whether he's going to keep it up all year. I also had Pascal Siakam in there as well. I, Wancho and Klepa are good candidates to me, but I was pretty high on those guys already, I think, compared to most people. And Wancho, like, the story makes sense, right? If you, again, if you're like, you told me, yeah, Wancho's going to be pretty good. He's going to shoot well from three. Okay, he did that as a rookie. Uh, he's better as a four, but I think he's capable as a three defensively. He had some moments there as a rookie. And then you could just say, well, you know, last year was a total loss because of the mono. So that, that makes sense. And Kleba, I really liked what I saw from him his first year. So that's not as surprising to me. But Rose just being this good is just like never could have possibly predicted that. Yeah, I didn't have Rose on because I feel the shooting is unsustainable. But the point I think that you're making is that even if that tones down, it's still an amazingly surprising season. That's a fair one because he's been so much better than anticipated. So even even regression to the mean makes this a, a big step for him. And I mean, this is his age 30 season after so many battles with injury and everything else. I mean, his last two seasons where he played 60 plus games, Derek Rose shot 22% and 29% from three. So even if he becomes like a 35% shooter for the year, that is a huge upgrade, not only because you're making more three pointers, but because teams have to defend you entirely differently if you're around that percentage. And we've seen the effect that he's had on Minnesota's offense. Yeah. The last two years, Derek Rose has taken his average shot from less than 10 feet. And that's 13.2 this season which would be nearly the highest of his career so we got to get to the biggest disappointing team and player and also if you guys have comments on this too we'd love to hear you know especially for these kind of more non-traditional ones if you think there's someone we're leaving out uh hit us up nate duncan nba and uh danny is danny larue i know danny loves uh getting a lot of comments uh, on twitter um but before we get to most disappointing team and player which you know that's the heart of the show because we're such a negative people this from burrow dunked on is brought to you by Burrow. The holiday season is here, and whether you're hosting the entire extended family or just a few friends, you're going to need a cozy seat for everyone. There's no better time to replace your worn-out, hand-me-down couch with a super comfortable, high-quality, and easy-to-set-up Burrow sofa. I may actually go take a nap on mine right after this. It's in our sunroom right now. The cats love it, but it's very durable. You know, if you've had cats, they can kind of tear up a couch. Uh, but the Burrow has resisted their ministrations to this point. I set it up completely by myself in about five minutes i ordered it online and i was able to customize it with the color the armrest height you can go with a, a love seat you can even get the love seat and then add a cushion to it later as your home or family grow and it comes with a built-in usb charger so, so you never have to get up that, that's pretty nice we are for your binge watching sessions there get your living room ready for all of your holiday celebrations and save 75 bucks on a new sofa by visiting burrow.com slash cap space that's b-u-r-r-o-w burrow into it that's the name burrow.com slash cap space to get 75 dollars off your order don't forget that slash cap space url let them know that you came from us and thanks again to burrow for supporting our show most disappointing team so this is kind of a challenging time for that because some of the teams that are disappointing for me if it's injury based i don't count that because i mean they're disappointing due to injury so for me at the as of the end of december they did have a big win on tuesday night but the utah jazz their defense at that point was seventh but not i mean not dominant like we thought it could be and then their offense has just been awful yeah missing a bunch of threes is a part of that but just the the flow of it i mean there's this idea that maybe the rule changes affected them more than other teams and like yeah i mean 
Boston has been disappointing too, but their off their defense has been great. It's just that their offense has sucked, and I think that's a somewhat different thing, especially because they're integrating all these new talents. I mean, Utah very similar team to last year, and just not as good as I hoped. And I mean, I was banging the drum that I thought they could potentially have the best record in the West, and they can still move a long way. We're only a little bit over a quarter of the way through the season, but for me, of teams that have gotten a fair shake of it and are below my expectations, I would say the Jazz are the furthest away. How did you not pick Houston? Well. Because I, I think with Paul missing a bunch of time and Harden had some issues and just everything else, like I, I don't know. I give them I don't give them a pass. Like I'm I'm very frustrated with them, but I kind of want to give them more time at close to full strength to to see it. I, I expect that Houston will be my team at the end of the season, but for right now, I gave them a mitigation, you know, it moved them down to like three because of that. But I understand why you're picking them. I mean, I thought they were going to be the second best team in the NBA, and I thought they were going to win 59 games. So the fact that they're under 500, I mean, that's just really obvious to me. And yeah, they've had some injuries, but even with Chris Paul, Clint Capella, and James Harden all healthy, they haven't been anywhere close. I think they've already lost five games in those circumstances as well and then last year they were able to withstand injuries right even when Harden missed time you know they were totally fine with Paul you know they were still over 500 uh, when Paul missed time I think you know I want to say they went like 13 and 5 or something during that early period that, that he had to miss it so to be under 500 this far into the year like the Carmelo thing and the Michael Carter Williams thing we thought those could be problems I mean those were bigger disasters than even anyone could have thought including us who were probably lower on those moves than anybody the Ryan Anderson trade has also been a big problem for them they've really missed him in in the regular season they're just total lack of depth right now and yeah again they've had some injuries like you know Gerald Green has been out but if you're in a situation where Gerald Green being out is torpedoing your season you know you've got some problems so I mean they just every time it looks like they're going to turn around I mean I still have faith in them if and when they all get healthy or maybe some moves will be made but uh, I mean just they have by far the biggest deviation in where I thought they would be at this point in time and uh, where they are Uh, other teams that I considered Boston I thought about it but you know they're fine they have a four point five net rating right now they've actually won 1.8 fewer games than expected they've won they've looked fine in the big games that they've played you know they look like they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs they've disappointed some but this isn't insane and you know a lot of that has just been gordon hayward jen brown like just individual guys not playing that well um so I, I think they're going to be fine. You know, I'm not that worried about them. Washington, certainly, we thought they'd be a playoff team. I mean, they're 25th in the NBA net rating right now, 10 and 14. And, you know, it's looked even worse than that. They've actually been a lucky team so far to have won to be 10 and 14. Should be a little bit worse than that. So, and then I mean, Cleveland, I didn't think they'd be 5 and 18. I didn't think if they had like quite this level of disaster potential. But with Love going out immediately, I guess we should have thought of that because, you know, it's not like he's stayed healthy these last few years. But yeah, and Cleveland moving so quickly into this just turtling in, you know, tanking mode, especially because it comes on the heels and this will come up in a later question of them spending money this offseason the way that they did, you know, like going from, hey, we're trying to win. We're going to we're going to spend on Larry Nance. We're going to spend on Kevin Love to firing their coach and just going, OK, it's a youth movement within about three weeks is pretty striking. And yeah, the Wizards were seriously considered for me. I mean, their disaster potential was somewhat obvious, but I think that the degree to which, I mean, their defense being 29th in defense is pretty appalling because 
remember under Randy Whitman, it's a somewhat different team and they're older and they don't care as much, but they were a top 10 defense, I believe, under him at least one point. And yeah, I mean, the the Wizards still have time. It's kind of like the Rockets. They still have time to figure it out, especially because the bottom of the East playoff picture is pretty weak right now. But you don't see many signs other than specific games that, oh yeah, they're they're just on the cusp. They're, you know, they're one rotation move away from getting this. And so that that is the part to me that's the most surprising is how bad they've looked when they've looked bad is is striking. This isn't really the thrust of the category because Charlotte is 11 and 12 and that's probably about right where we thought they would be. But it certainly has to be incredibly disappointing for them to have already lost 3.5 more games than expected based on their point differential. So that that's pretty disappointing, uh, even if it's not quite the way we'd normally talk about it. All right, I'll, I'll start with my most disappointing player of the year, and that is Chris Paul. It just has not been playing at a superstar level, even when he's been healthy. Been in and out of the lineup with injuries again, which though it might have been expected, uh, you know, that's a big part of this Houston regression. And I mean, that's also the most worrying. You know, if he can't get back to being a, a superstar, you know, Houston will not be a championship contender. I think no matter what else they do here, right? And that's the 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 reason that he was my pick as well. I mean, I've been a Chris Paul believer for an insanely long time, and the Rockets making the, the moves they made over the summer, you know, letting Ariza go, letting Mbamute go, that took away a lot of their margin for error. And that made it so much more important for James Harden to be the guy that he was last year and for Chris Paul to do the same. And sure, some of it could be injuries, but if Chris Paul's taking a half step back or a full step back, all of these other things that I gave them a, a, a pass for in the most disappointing team rankings don't really matter because they lose the dynamism that made the Rockets so much that made the Rockets so special. And with all these other capable teams in the Western Conference, they're easier to defend. What they do is less special now that teams have had a year to adjust and a lot of the a lot of the teams that are in the west have intriguing personnel to defend the rockets so yeah i mean paul is essential to their success and has been yeah not not himself and oh i forgot to mention somebody since since i'm thinking about point guards i forgot to mention another guy for the biggest surprise player and we're not doing most improved at this point and i've i've floated this idea i think in in a couple different places but emmanuel moutier going from being one of the most destructive players in the league to being you know decent competent i think that gets him in the mix for most surprising player for me and most improved once we get to that conversation yeah he's just been so bad for so long that i'm just not sure i can buy it quite yet here to give you some stats uh on paul by far worst per of his career would be one of the lowest usages since his rookie year hasn't been very efficient and i think defensively he's clearly uh taken a step back as well here so who else was on your list for most disappointing player Terry Rozier. Rozier, I mean, some of what he did last year felt a little bit unsustainable to me, but he's not getting to the basket nearly as much as last year. He's not getting to the free throw line nearly as much as last year. And he is in a a harder role to succeed just because Boston's starters are better than their second unit guys, even though they are really deep. But he's been a pretty big disappointment to me. It was hard to pick a single wizard. They've been really disappointing as a team, but there isn't really, I mean, I consider John Wall the bellwether for them and he, his defensive effort has been pretty awful most of this year, but offensively he's kind of 
of at, you know, around the same level that he was last year. So I didn't really put him on the list. And for a brief period of time, I considered Rondé Hollis Jefferson just because I really hoped he could step in and be their power forward. But he's been better over the last little while. So I removed him from consideration. I actually had another Celtic who featured prominently Jalen Brown. Rozier, I thought he was going to take a little bit of a step back this year. I thought he was a little overrated after the playoffs. But Brown shooting 26% on three-pointers and, and just, you know, he, he's been, you've seen how much better the Celtics have played without him. I still think the best version of them includes Brown, but, you know, he's going to start have to start playing a lot better. Josh Jackson, someone we're low on, but, you know, he's having an atrocious year with the Suns. Markel Fultz, again, you know, just, you wondered about where he's going to be, but the fact that he has to get shut down again is certainly disappointing. Uh, but actually, I'd say my number two right now is LaMarcus Aldridge. He is 421st right now in RPM, which, you know, you've got the caveats that it's very early in the season and RPM has never really thought his game was that good, but under 50% true shooting for him. I mean, he played at an all NBA level. That was a, a very underrated reason why the Spurs were able to weather the Kawhi Leonard storm last year. And this year, uh, La, uh, LaMarcus has been atrocious. Yeah, he's a good pick. I mean, I thought he played over his head last year, but I didn't think he played this far over his head. So we'll see where he looks after December, but certainly a valid pick in, in this conversation. Dunk of the month. Danny actually watched it this year, the, the NBA's dunk video. So we'll uh, have a little bit more to talk to a few candidates. DeMar DeRozan had this ridiculous one foot double pump with two hands where he like pulled the ball to the side and dunked on Giannis in that San Antonio at, at Milwaukee game. And it was clutch. It was in the it was in the last couple minutes of the game, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think it was under under five minutes to go in that one. Um, Miles Bridges had an absolute detonation with the right hand on Dwayne Dedman coming in from the baseline. Uh, the, Vince Carter, this one actually wasn't featured in the montage. He did get a dunk right at the end of the game to get his 25,000th career point as they were about to lose by 20. I didn't realize that they were like feeding him at the very end of the game to get him 25,000. Uh, and he got a dunk with one second left in the game down 20 that's uh that was a kind of odd circumstances there uh but he also had this six spin on jeremy lamb in that same game actually that bridges had that nasty dunk um and then went baseline and, and yoked it Giannis had like five completely ridiculous ones that you know you couldn't even choose them. i mean the, the my favorite one probably yeah i actually i actually have a separate can separate category of best Giannis dunk because i feel <laughs> like he kind of has his he has his own category and but and, and i mean because Giannis is also what part of what makes him special as a dunker right now is that he does both the kind of like dunk contest open court dunks like with the windmills and everything but then he also goes over over people a lot which he, are my he personal not only goes over people he goes through people as well i mean mm -hmm. my favorite of his was i was actually in person for this one uh where he was being guarded by mason plumley gets into the post on plumley overpowers him up fake step through left hand just dunks it all over him like it was like a shack kind of move it, it just completely obliterated plumley but I mean, again he had just like five that were you know deserved consideration that was actually my number two my number one Giannis dunk was the one on kufos which was i think pretty oh, early yeah, in the year yeah. and he he just caught him and and that was another one what something that Giannis does that i love is where it seems like he's taking away taking off too far away from the basket and you're sitting there going costa kufos is a big dude like are you going to be able to get around and pass and through him and the answer was yes yeah he's basically almost threw that one in uh one more before i i reveal my best one emmanuel moutier on garrett temple in that upset knicks win at memphis this was in the last two minutes of the game he got a steal on a two-on-one and he just came in and dunked it for an and one uh, on temple which I, I think might have actually even been the go-ahead bucket in the last two minutes of the game 
it was. Um, any others? I'll, you I'll, go, I'll go through. Yeah. yeah I'll, so, so I'll go through a couple of other honorable mentions for me for a couple different reasons. So one, it's not so much on the list because of the dunk, but because of the pass. Trey Young tactically going off the backboard to John Collins. He didn't have the alley-oop straight up because I can't remember who they were playing, but they were blocking the passing lane. So he just threw it off the backboard and it wasn't, you know, show off or anything like that. It's like, oh, that's how I can get the ball from A to B without anybody getting it. I love that. Hazonia dunking by Giannis. It wasn't really on him and stepping over. I just have to mention it as the Archbishop of the Church of Hazonia was maybe the highlight of the last couple of years. Best tip dunk was Josh Akogi's one-hander, which is just nasty. He oh, caught yeah. it and 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 corked it and dunked it all with one hand. And then the other two, the other ones, I think I know what your number one is, so I'll mention the other two that aren't that. Jason Tatum getting all over Paul George in transition. And I love it when a guy goes after a really good defender because that, you know, that means a little bit more to me. And then Carl Anthony Towns on Paul Millsap was just just gross. Like that was just a great, great, yeah, great. That's dunk. one of my favorite. But I'm leaving ones. you the the, the yeah. like I'm gonna take the charge and get dunked on. Like that one is is one of my favorites. And, and like he he just got he just got trashed too. And again, another one that's on a on a really good defender. I mean, Millsap. I think his defense has yeah. been so important for Denver. But I'm gonna leave you because the what I'm thinking is your number one. If it isn't any, any of those, it's one that we got to do in person on the NBA cast. Yeah, and uh, that is in fact it. Sabonis just absolutely destroying a beat and yeah you know he kind of pushed off with his right arm but like part of the reason that worked is because he like kind of quick jumped him and was above him and you could tell him Bede just was not expecting it he just got like knocked backwards just such a nasty play by S- Sabonis uh and so surprising and Bede is probably the most the best shot blocker to get dunked on in this list too uh just fantastic work by Sabonis that was actually my number two to the Emmanuel Moutier dunk because of the off-arm stuff, and because Moutier's dunk, I believe it was a go-ahead basket that became a win. It was in the last minute. So... I mean, the degree of difficulty is, is higher on the Sabonis dunk, and it was more surprising, and it was awesome that we were doing it live, but I'm going to go with Moutier. They're both great picks, though. Best win of the season so far? There are a couple different ways to go always with best win, and for me, what it is, is it's a, a win that makes me think about a team differently or that, that you're going to kind of, le- that lingers with you. And so I had two different nominations that are both the same type of win, and it's good teams beating great teams on the road. And my number two is the Pelicans just beating the crap out of the Toronto Raptors. It was 126-110. I was a game I watched a fair portion of. Drew Holiday was fantastic. Maybe his game of the season so far. AD did really well. And was like, oh yeah, that's right. When the Pelicans are on this, that game is a big part of the reason why I'm like still a Pelicans believer, even though they've been dealing with these yeah. weird depth issues and all this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. They can they can throw this on everybody. And then my number one, the Bucks beating the Warriors. I mean, they just demolished them. Curry got hurt in that game, but the game was over by that point. It was well, well over by that. And the Bucks completely outclassed them. Did a beautiful job defensively, offensively, in transition. And it was like, oh yeah, that's right. The Bucks have played the Warriors well for years. They famously broke up the 24 game winning streak and their length has been a problem but they they dominated the best team in the league at the time thoroughly yeah now Draymond Green didn't play in that game but yeah at Oracle Warriors were playing pretty well just had no answers for Giannis couldn't stop fouling they're bombing threes yeah they look better and the Bucks looked like they're a team that could give Golden State real problems since then really they've kind of fallen off you know that we may look at that ultimately as the apex of their season depending on on what happens here but yeah I mean that is a nasty win uh and I would have had that uh Pels Raptors one number two also worst loss 
of the season. I feel like for a couple of different reasons, it has to be the Cavs losing at home to the Hawks by 22. I had that too. It, it got a coach fired. I mean, and that was at the point when we still thought the Cavs might be okay. And we've kind of retconned in, oh yeah, the Cavs are awful and, and all this. And I, know, I thought they would be kind of in that stage below, or sorry, stage above the worst teams in the league. Saw that game and went, oh, okay. Like maybe that that's what this is now. And then my honorable mention, it, well, there, there are a couple of different ones. I mean, even though the Knicks have been better, the Celtics losing at home to them was weird. The Spurs and the, the Spurs losing to the Suns was the one that kind of was a warning sign for me. The Hornets getting killed by the Cavs was another weird one. But I mean, Utah just getting massacred by Dallas. Final score was 118-68, was 84-59 at the end of the third. And then Dallas just hung a 34-9 fourth quarter on them. And so, so that makes the final margin look a lot worse than it quote unquote was. But that that was one of those games where I'm like, oh crap, like maybe the, the Mavs are better and I think they have been better. But getting just massacred that way when you're pretty close to full strength was disheartening. Yeah, I went with Hawks at Cavs as well, just because, I mean, it didn't technically get Lou fired, but it was, it presaged all these issues with are they going to play the veterans who aren't really any good anyway or not and the hawks have been awful they've been the worst team in the league and for them to just they cleveland just had less than zero answers for trey young in that game and then my number two was houston putting up what had been an nba season low in points 80 houston i believe was healthy for that game at okc without russell westbrook and that was the game that you'll recall actually ended the carmelo anthony era in houston he this was his like triumphant return to okc and instead you know he was like two for ten and negative 20 and never played a minute again for the rockets so that would probably have to be my number two i mean i like i like the ones that it sort of like put an exclamation point on something and, and for this category and both the two that we selected are there uh game yeah that's yeah, that ahead. is a game where that is a game where capella hart harden and paul all played yeah and they were all they were all negative i mean it, the the bench guys did get just shellacked in that one but yeah i mean that you were sitting there going oh man maybe the rockets really aren't that team and Melo came off the bench was awful in his 20 minutes and yeah and that was one of the games yeah so schroeder played in place of russ he had a pretty good game overall and yeah okay so he just waxed him game of the year uh, i had three candidates one was uh the blake griffin 50 point game that he won with an and one against uh i remember that he won it with an and one or tied it at the end of regulation it might have been i think he won it uh but they just had no answers for him that was pretty early in the season another one that was in the first week i, I remember this one because watching the end of it in the warriors locker room and all the players were like standing around us uh, and the writers watching and commenting on the game which was pretty fun uh san antonio at the lakers the lakers trailed by three or, or by eight in the final two minutes and lebron hit a a tying three on Rudy Gay and then the Lakers had a pretty big lead as I recall in the overtime the Spurs came back and Patty Mills came off a screen beat Lonzo Ball and hit a game winner in OT uh and then uh Golden State at Toronto I didn't pick that one just because Golden State wasn't at full strength although that was a great game uh ultimately though I went with that San Antonio at Lakers game just because the end of it was so crazy it was really high scoring it was one of these games where it was just like yeah this is what the NBA is going to be this year it could be like teams putting up a buck 30 on a nightly basis all of those were ones that I considered and 
the other ones that I met, that I considered uh Boston Toronto one, which we did for NBA cast was maybe my favorite played game of the year. Just like the, we got to see both those teams. They're really aesthetically pleasing yeah. against each other. Had a lot of fun with that. But my number one also involves the Celtics. It's funny because they've had, they've had some real clunkers of games, but it was that Boston Indiana game. And the reason why it was so memorable for me is that it, it ended, it culminated with Kyrie and Victor Oladipo just throwing offensive haymakers at each other. And so Kyrie hits this massive shot, then Oladipo hits one, then I think the Celtics missed. Indiana goes no timeout, and even though they were down, I think they were only down one, Oladipo pulls up from basically the spot that Kyrie makes the game winner in Game 7 of the NBA Finals, drills it right in his eye, and it was just it was just an awesome game. Like It was just a lot of fun going back and forth, and that was you know one, close to the high watermark so far this season for Indiana, because Oladipo started missing games and experiencing some discomfort, I think it was like about a week after that but i just love that game sophomore of the year this is an interesting one because really i think you would argue that we thought man like last year's rookie of the year race was ridiculous with simmons and donovan mitchell and then you know jason tatum would have won it most years he, he was just behind all three of those guys to some degree have disappointed but no one is really fired in to take their place i think the only second year guy outside of those three who is like really opening some eyes at this point is De'Aaron fox you know he's in this conversation to me as well with the way he basically his transition game is basically the only way the kings could possibly score points right now and you know as mentioned they are over 500 which is absolutely insane i mean he is probably you have to say even more so than donovan mitchell the most important second year player to his team right now so i probably would have to go with him uh but with simmons uh, a close second behind him and Simmons as we mentioned in the 15 and 60 has come on lately I put Simmons one and Fox two because I think Simmons is just a better basketball player and Fox has is more important that's a fair point but when it's best sophomore or sophomore of the year for me that's more of most outstanding and Ben Simmons has been better defensively he's still having another good year maybe not as great as last year I'd have to really look into that and we might at some point another guy I want to mention not that I considered him above those two but Jared Allen is having a nice year and and as a full-time starter the Nets are you know below maybe below some people's expectations are also missing Karis LeVert but I think he's having a really nice year and he he's actually when I when I ran the stats not that I'm advocating for these being particularly strong stats I'm not using this persuasive but he was close to these other guys in PER in VORP and BPM partially I mean some of those stats overrate big men just because of the efficiency and rebounding and some of those things but he's having a really nice year overall and Simmons statistically he's just about identical to last year except he's getting to the foul line a lot more and hitting a few more of those and he's actually been more efficient 58 percent true shooting instead of 56 uh, so he would have to be right up there I, I would imagine that it's probably going to be him by the end of the year but certainly you know Mitchell has started playing better he's just struggled with some injuries and Tatum has struggled with being addicted to long twos so I, I'm not sure it'll be Fox at the end of the year but you know I want to recognize what he he has done uh for this Kings team as of now um here's one that is an official award although it's voted by the peers of the executives executive of the year can Masai Ujiri just pick it up now no I mean no I don't think so I 
think there's some I, I really started thinking about it i'm like yeah there actually are some other other candidates but I, he was my number one there, there are there are some other ones but i mean the Kawhi trade not only that but they got danny green in that trade danny green has been absolutely massive for them the spurs yeah. sold low on him well, well they what ha- about they the argument it- that i mean if at least if we're talking about a regular season award i mean they're probably not going to win many more games than they did last year yeah, but they're a more sustainable team. They're actually in a better financial place. You can make a good argument moving forward. Also, I would say at this point, deciding to change coaches and go with Nick Nurse, I think that's yeah. looking pretty good for them yeah. overall. And that's another big decision that an executive makes. So yeah, I think the, that combination of forces works out. And yeah, I mean, not not every move has been golden. Van Vliet has been disappointing overall at the start of this season. I mean, you still, they needed the depth and everything else like that. It's a two-year contract. I'm not going to kill him for that. But I want to hear who your other ones who are under consideration are uh donnie nelson uh, having making that trade uh, to get luka Doncic. i mean that's that is yeah. looking like it's going to be a total franchise changing move like they're already 500 luka has been a positive part of that which is very rare you can say that for rookies i mean he's been the best offensive player on this team so far certainly inconsistent at, at times and prone to being shut down and he's you know i think he's going to need some rust maintenance uh, throughout the year but i mean to just to get that piece starting where they were at number five to have the boldness of that move and you know considering who else would have been available to them at five two you know that just wouldn't have really helped them i don't think that much long term you know like you know maybe would they have you know, what if they just had just stayed at five and picked mo bamba like who i think most people would have projected that that's what they would have done there you know how different would well their what if they look? what if they stayed at five and took jaron jackson because luca fell to the map the map to the grizzlies who would have probably taken him over jaron yeah, that's a possibility too. You know, they, they might have looked at pretty good there too. But uh, you know, it were, I mean, but who who would have the Hawks have taken then if they stayed at three? Trey would have just stayed at three and taken Trey Young. Yeah, maybe. I think it's a possibility. I don't know, but it it, it's, yeah. it is that. But I, you know, the point you're making is sound. I'm just I just wanted to run that th- that theory by you. Um, and then this is one we'll call this one an incomplete, but I think he's on his way to maybe doing it. Is uh, Elton Brand in the Sixers? Now remember that Brand wasn't actually even made the gm until the fall so some of their failures in the summer you know you can't necessarily put that at his feet to say that he, you know it was he was running things at that point in time um although i'm still i'm not really sure what else they could have done this summer frankly i mean after bielitsa dropped out you know that was pretty late in the game maybe you could say they should have done more than just taking on wilson chandler and getting some seconds but you know they didn't have a, a ton of options available uh, as far as you know just one year deals uh they did elect to keep their cap space open which is probably looking like it's the right move but but the, the Jimmy Butler trade, I mean, you know, they got him for, I thought, a, a totally reasonable return. Uh, we'll see how, how Minnesota ends up. You know, maybe if they make the playoffs, maybe Dom Thibodeau hilariously could be in, in consideration uh, if, if uh, you know, Sharich and Covington really look like they're a big part of Minnesota's future. But um, no, so, so Brand would be the one. I mean, they still have to fill out around this team quite a bit. But so he's going to have to do that to really be here in this spot at the end of the year. But so far, I mean, I think that's... That's a, a pretty good trade. It's an interesting tag. I'm not disagreeing with it to go with somebody who doesn't have the the stink of the the part of the Raptor the the, the Sixers offseason that I didn't like on them. That's an interesting idea. And like, there are other guys like, for example, I still like what Marks did with the Nets over the offseason. It's just that it doesn't really work well for Executive of the Year because a lot of it was like building assets, making something out of nothing, but not a whole lot of something. So that was a nice job. I think he did a good he did well, but it's not really Executive of the Year. I just want to mention I went back through my offseason grades. And I'm like, oh yeah 
that still looks good because they, you know, basically created a, an extra first round pick from the Denver Nuggets. Got Jared Dudley, who I think has really helped them. And their draft picks are looking okay. I mean, we haven't seen Musa much, but Kuruks is looking better and he was the second round pick. All right. New category for this year, since we're doing this, this show now in two parts every month, not executive of the year. And my number one nominee here is Gerald Morey with one arm tied behind his back by Tilman Fertitta's cheapness. Uh, so that that combination, I mean, again, with the Rockets being such a disappointment, pretty much all the moves that they've made so far have not really worked very well. Uh, you know, they did do well to get Clint Capella on that contract for cheaper than we thought he was going to go. You know, Chris Paul, they at least didn't give him the five-year deal, though they had to give him the max for four years, and he has a player option. But the Mello deal, whoever, whether that was Chris Paul and Harden pushing that, whether Morey thought he would work out or not, that was obviously a disaster. They cost themselves a bunch of games by playing him early. He's now not even on the team anymore. But, of course, still has to be taking up a roster slot because, you know, far be it for Tillman Fertitta to just pay the guy uh, and try to win games with the roster spots that they desperately need instead of just waiting now until he can be traded at December 15th or, you know, until he gets waived and maybe gets picked up by someone or whatever. Michael Carter-Williams, that was a signing we thought was absolutely terrible to begin with. They were clearly counting on them. They needed to do something more at backup point guard. I mean, and yeah, they wanted someone who could be in their switching system, but you know, Shabazz Napier, Shabazz Napier, uh, Shabazz thank you it shouldn't flummox me as much because Shabazz Muhammad is now out of the league but you know he went to Brooklyn for the minimum basically you know I'm guessing that if they wanted to give him a guaranteed contract just someone to like give them an NBA player at that position you know so to be relying on him and then they've had a lot of you've missed one other important move well yeah I mean I maybe I was gonna get there the right yeah yeah the the Ryan Anderson yeah Yeah, I I mean that's another okay another solid NBA player that yeah you know they save some money for next year basically they they brought in marquis chris he clearly was out of shape and injured and he just has not been able to contribute i mean they just have so many completely dead roster spots on this team right now and maybe he'll be able to salvage it maybe for will be able to salvage it you know they obviously made the decision to not bring back ariza and in mute as well so they have really struggled and and yeah harden and paul not playing as well has been part of that but the bigger part of it i think has just been that slots like eight through 15 in the roster have basically provided zero production whatsoever they did do well with james ennis i mean i think he's had a solid year overall getting and getting him for the minimum with a player option for the second year yeah i'm i think you're happy with that but the rockets so they made the they they did the big long-term moves i think they got those pretty close to right i mean capella at about 17 17 half million a year even if he's not as good as he was last year that's still a reasonable contract to be sure not having to give chris paul a fifth year really helps but houston's window was the present always we everybody knew that i mean because chris paul he we didn't know how long he was going to be healthy and all that and yes maury had a hand tied by his deck and that is an important part of this story to tell but in terms of maximizing present value even given those constraints this didn't work out really well i mean losing ryan anderson and not getting back anybody who could even be a regular season player burning all these roster spots and they might be able to deal with some of it through buyout guys i think houston is an incredibly desirable buyout destination but i want to take some time to talk about some of the other general managers oh, that are executives that could be considered so i'm not putting these in any order so i don't want people to freak out about that but what i want to mention and i remember getting so much shit for this for mentioning giving them a low off season grade but 
the context here is important. Ryan McDonough, who has already been fired, started the offseason with a ton of cap space, the number one pick, 16 pick, 31 pick, 59, and that extra Miami first, which they included in the Mikhail Bridges trade. And the overall value that, I mean, Aiden, we'll see how he works out. I mean, I still like him a little better than a fair number of portion, like a significant portion of the guys in the draft, but I do not think he was the best player in the draft. Didn't then, don't now. And they gave it that Miami pick to move up the Zyre Smith Bridges thing, you know, that might work out, but then just so many assets. They did get Melton in, in the Rockets trade, but Ariza, that looks like is just like a, a huge value sink for them. You know, they, they couldn't, you know, extract assets or yeah. anything else. By, by the way, Gina Mazzell at the, at the athletic, the athletic.com slash cap space, uh, had a piece reacting to the report that Ariza like is expected to be available pretty quickly here, uh, by talking to Trevor about it. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's rough losing and blah, blah, but like, yo, I'm here to like, be a mentor to these to these guys and then she mentions that like she talked to him on the way out of practice when he was like already dressed when like you know all the young guys are like still in there like working on their games and he's like leaving the arena <laughs> already like as she's having the conversation as he's saying like how his, his job is to be a mentor I, I just thought that was kind of funny and another one kind of along those lines the knicks didn't have significant resources but if Knox ends up being worse than some of the guys that were drafted below him and they didn't get anything really from the middle level exception i've criticized the Hazonia thing that they basically got no long-term value out of it and he's overpaid on his contract so I don't think they can trade him for anything and they're not taking on future money but then the two other ones that I think are important to discuss here Kobe Altman not losing LeBron James I don't I don't blame him at all for that obviously but deciding with Dan Gilbert to give Kevin Love a ton of money a contract that we both panned before he got hurt and then paying Larry Nance when Larry Nance doesn't move the needle a lot giving him four guaranteed years after this year at over 10 million a year and then one that I think is flying under the radar this this kind of got on my in my brain because of something that you said a little while ago RC Buford and Greg Popovich with the Spurs yeah they got they made the bet for present value with DeMar DeRozan and Pirtle, you know, Pirtle could be interesting, but he's, you know, more of a support player than anything else. And that pick from the Raptors, which looks like it's going to be, you know, bottom, bottom of the first round. And then they went present value and everything else. They re-signed Rudy Gay on a one-year deal. They could theoretically bring him back yeah. with early bird rights. They used their mid-level exception on Marco Bellinelli. And even though their season is looking significantly worse because of DeJounte Murray, and that was something they could not have foreseen, he tore his ACL well after all these moves happened. It's very fair to argue that even if everything went right for them, they like betting on the short term by using Kawhi Leonard, this big piece, even if it was assumed that he had to leave, using that to get present value was a big tactical mistake. Yeah, I mean, and the, like, you know, teams like Philly and Boston kind of weren't even really considered, uh, although it doesn't, any, there's not much of an indication that Boston really tried to get Kawhi. But oh, come on, you know, Boston offered like five first round picks and <laughs> all these other things. You know um, that happened. Yeah, there's no indication that Kawhi would have wanted to stay there. Or, you know, I mean, even like so the Clippers package could have been better to set them up for the long term uh, than DeRozan. And, and then, you know, they also could have moved Aldridge. You know, they could have moved some of these other pieces. Well, the gate thing, I understand why they brought him back. They also signed Marco Bellinelli who's, who, to full mid-level accession for a couple of years or close to it, like six million a year. Um, so, yeah, I would put them in there. I had 
whoever is running the Suns as well I mean I think Aiton over Doncic is going to be a big problem not they're in theory trying to win but oh yeah we just are not going to have an NBA point guard on the on the roster and then we'll just cut two guys so we can keep Isaiah Cannon and then we're going to actually it's actually Canaan now is it's back to the way it's actually pronounced in the in the, the Bible he, he changed it but uh or corrected it I should say but and then he gets gets cut after that I mean that number 10 pick they could have had Shea Gilgis Alexander you know who I think could have been a pretty nice fit next to Booker ultimately uh they ended up trading up for that pick but you know if they had wanted to do that deal I'm sure Philly would have done it before they selected Bridges you know it was very haphazard that they didn't even make that trade offer until well after Bridges has been had been selected you know they traded future for present when they're not going to be any good the Anderson trade I, I didn't mind that one as much um because they, they aren't any worse of a salary position now after Anderson agreed to reduce his guarantee next year but Anderson's not even playing so yeah I mean a, a lot of problems with what the, the Suns did and then the other guy who, who I would specifically call out here although again you know Cleveland Houston under Fertitta now uh you know I'm not putting him in the same category as some of these other guys but you know again it, there's ownership related there Phoenix and then of course the Kings who you know they're 12 and 11 that's nice they also have been the subject of like some crazy rumors with Dave Yeager to the point where Sam Amick reported that people in the Kings organization are nearly certain that Brandon Williams was the source of that article with Chris Haynes that Yeager could be in trouble because Brandon Williams decided to give Haynes all of the information for that article in public just like sitting there at a game so that all the other staffers could see him and then oh yeah this article comes out a few days later so it's obvious that Williams the one who gave it to him like if you're gonna try and play that clandestine game at least like give yourself a little better chance at plausible deniability the the kings also were totally uninterested in Doncic. they should have just drafted him obviously bagley you know it's actually been better than i expected but you know he's not Doncic. i don't think he's ever going to be Doncic. uh there's all this drum with dave yeager i'm sure that yeager has, deserves part of that as well then uh it specifically was released that brandon williams was thrown out of practice after going on a, a week-long trip uh, so and it seems like he is really making a, a lot of enemies in the organization remember that he was specifically blamed to for going back on the deal the originally agreed to deal and asking for more consideration with uh Papianis last year that during their trade deadline machinations with the jazz and calves so and you know this is all under ron adive who uh certainly the, and there's plenty of discussion of you know is uh, vlade the guy with the power is it uh, Ronda Dive's kind of right-hand woman whose, whose name escapes me? Is it Williams now who has the power? But so maybe it's unfair to single out Williams here, although, you know, he, his name has been attached to most of it, which is rare for a so-called assistant GM. But yeah, that's, uh, that hasn't been too good. Yeah, there have been a lot of kind of weird GMing performances here uh, so far. So, but I still would have to go with Maury because that's a team that, uh, and Tillman Fertitta, that combination, because they were supposed to be great this year. They're supposed to be competing for a championship. They're nowhere close to that right now. The last thing, that we have to do a tradition for dunked on awards the monthly trend that will continue and the monthly trend that will not continue we'll start with the ones that will mine is milwaukee's rim domination they have the second most attempts in the restricted area and the best field goal percentage maybe they won't be you know number one and number two in those two things but they will be dominant in both of those moving forward my trend that will continue is that golden state will continue to not shoot that many threes they may make some but even with curry back i predict that they will not enter the league's top 10 in three-point attempt rate despite steve kerr's comments that they need to shoot more threes and he needs to get these guys more threes and blah 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 
Uh, I just, they have three three point shooters on this team, really, uh, you know, at least who are big bombers. And, and, you know, KD doesn't really look to take that many of them either. Uh, so, you know, they've got like Jarebko in there now, but when Draymond Green comes back, that's going to hurt their three point shooting. So I, I think they're still, they're going to shoot a great percentage. Though the three point shooters they do have will open things up for everyone else. Their offense is still going to be good, but I still don't think they're going to shoot many threes. It would be so funny if you lost that because of DeMarcus Cousins, but granted, that wouldn't happen in the immediate. So, yeah, yeah. That- this is, this is over the next month that uh they will not and i'm saying over the next month not like their total but just for the next month or the month of december they will not be in the top 10 in the nba in three-point attempt and i think that in- will include all games with curry uh because he came back at the start of the summer yeah my monthly trend that is an aberration so season to this point denver opponents are just shooting 31.8 percent on threes that's a really low and the reason i wanted to keep an eye on that is because opponents are shooting a lot of threes against denver eighth highest proportion of shots there and they were in the bottom five of opponent shoot. Sorry, they opponent shot in the fifth best or better against them all of previous years. And so if that swings, it could make a meaningful difference for the defense. I, I generally believe in it, but that's something that I want to keep an eye on because it could be inflating their positive defensive numbers a little bit. And so that's part of this for me is just wanting to keep an eye on it. Mine is that the Clippers will drop in e-fugal percentage defense. They are currently number one in the NBA, yet sport a defense that's right around average because they're 20 or below in the other three, four factors, which for those who don't recall, that's rebounding, turnovers, and getting to the foul line or or preventing it such when you're talking about defense. So I predict that that is going to drop. I think over the next month, they will be 10th or below in uh, e-fugal percentage defense. All right, we uh, about done here yeah if people haven't listened to it yet you can check out my episode of real jam radio with matt moore we go through tiers for the whole nba and i should have new pieces coming out between when this is recorded and our 15 and 60 on the athletics overall nba site and then a warriors piece i have two that are in the works they just haven't been published yet so i don't want to spoil it because maybe the editorial decisions will be beyond me i will be back with the 15 and 60 western conference on sunday night touch all them Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 